You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet here in your music and audio device of choice, your speaker, your phone, your computer, your headphones, your, I don't know, I don't know what else you would be listening through, but here I am, and this is episode 61 of season three, episode 126 of this podcast. It is May 24th, 2021, a Monday morning. I'm coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, and today I am feeling heavy hearted, heavy in my spirit. And I don't know how to talk about what I feel I should talk about in this episode. So I want to tread lightly and I want to be careful and I want to not be talking too quickly and saying something I ought not. But I also don't want to be afraid because God says to fear not throughout his word. He says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. For I am with you. The one time we are told to fear, we're told to fear God. Jesus says to fear God. And the wisdom literature in the Old Testament tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I am resolved to not be afraid of this topic, but to charge forward, irregardless, the peril, not recklessly, but bravely. And I pray faithfully. I am privy to a number of situations, and I will not mention names. I won't say who these situations belong to, but I feel a certain measure of responsibility, duty. Uh, I think we have an opportunity when we are aware of such situations, particularly if we're asked for advice, to speak and to not shy away and to not shrug and to not avoid. In one case, I happen to know of a young lady, someone that my children interact with, who recently confessed to one of my sons, to my oldest son, that she had attempted suicide. Now, of course, she didn't commit suicide, but she attempted it, and she ends off her message to my son saying she's all better now. Well, are you? Are you all better now, sweetie? I hope so. But you usually don't just say something like that, and then that's all there is to it. I tried to kill myself, but I'm all better now. Oh, no, no. Um, it's a funny thing, and I and I don't mean funny. I I guess I just mean odd, because this past year, with COVID lockdowns, with schools being closed, not being a fan of public schools and things like that, though I am not a fan of public schools, I recognize the concern that parents and some educators have had that. You have all these lockdowns, you have all of these shutdowns, you have all of these people 
being told to stay in their homes. All these children who all of a sudden are not allowed to play with their friends and they're not allowed to go outside maybe even in some places if you could believe it. I would not have believed that on the front end of COVID that people would be arrested in public parks playing catch with their family, with their wife, their child, without wearing a mask in violation of stay-at-home orders. I would not have believed it. And then it happened. It happened here in Colorado. And maybe that's part of the reason why the Lord brought us to Colorado, so that we can be salt and light here and show people how to fear the Lord and not be so terrified of a supposed pandemic that you stop living. And not only do you stop living, but you trample on the lives of others. Is that to save them or is that to save yourself? Are you doing that because you love this person? Are you doing that because it's convenient to you? Because if you don't, there's going to be a penalty or cost or risk to you. Is this actually not so much a test of our ability to deal with a pandemic as it is a test of our love for one another. How much do we love God? How much do we trust God? How much do we love one another? But I kept seeing these stories talking about suicide on the rise across the country, across the world, I'm sure. But this is our country, so let's talk about our country first because this is where we live. Children, children wanting to kill themselves. Children. It breaks my heart, and I am, I'm just not sure, where do you start with children thinking that maybe they should just kill themselves? We're not talking about one or two here or there. We're not talking about in the abstract. We're not talking about somebody's children. We're talking about our children. Why do they think that life is not worth living? Why do they not see their lives in particular as having value? What went wrong? It hits close to home when it's my son coming up right before bed and telling my wife and I that he checked his emails and he happened to have an email from this girl. And she says that a friend of hers has decided that they're a boy now, presumably this friend was living as a girl up until they made this decision, I presume. I mean, there's always the possibility that they were a boy and now they're living as a boy. I am a man. And this morning I woke up and decided I'm going to live as a man. And uh, yesterday also decided I was going to live as a man. And the day before that, and the day before that, and the day before... I'm going on about 34 and a half years of living as a man. And I continue on living as a man because I am a man. God made me a man, but this girl's friend, her older friend, is living as a boy now. And then also this girl has decided that she's going to get with the times and dress like girls dress now. And she wanted to tell my almost 14-year-old son this. She's decided she wants to wear short shorts and uh, crop tops now. Mm, okay, I don't know why. My son needs to know that, but okay, like maybe you want to talk about it. Is that what it is? Is that you feel like you want somebody to maybe second guess or question or cross-examine 
the decision here or what? So that's first and second. And then third off, she concludes her email to him saying that she tried to commit suicide. But she's better now. She's better now. Is she better now? I don't know. So I told my son after a pause, after trying to just take in what he had told Lauren and I last night. Thank you for telling us. You did the right thing. Your mom and I will talk about it, and we will come up with some kind of advice or some kind of a plan with you on how to respond to this and how to respond to this in a way that is helpful, in a way that is cogent, in a way that you can have a good conscience about, in a way that is right. What should we be saying here? Well, first off, let's start with asking what is true and what is good. How do we know what is true and what is good? Because God tells us what is good and what is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And since we don't want to be liars, since we don't want to muddy the waters still further, we need to go to God. And so I told my oldest son, if you have any trouble getting to sleep tonight, I won't fault you for it. I won't blame you. I wouldn't have an easy time myself, but pray for her. Between now and when we know what we ought to say or what we ought to do here, pray for her. And your mom and I will follow up with you in the morning or tomorrow. So he says, thank you, goes off to bed. And Lauren and I just sit there, just blindsided, because we know this girl, we know her family, we care about them. And what do you do? So I told my wife last night, I think that it would be prudent and good for you to reach out to this girl's mother and to talk with her and to say, hey, here's the email Josiah just got. Are you all right? Are you guys, is your family all right? Is there anything we can do to help here? What's going on? Talk to us. Of course, there's always a question mark with conversations like this, and I don't mean like this as in specifically about suicide, but when there is trouble in the home, when there's a troubled person in the home, there's always this question of how are they going to take that? How are they going to receive that if we chime in? Yeah, we care about them, but we don't want to do more harm than good, and we don't want them to get upset with us for trying to talk about this with them, unless you've been invited in, unless you've been asked for advice here, you run a risk of being told to mind your own business. We're handling it. Thank you for your concern. And now I'm never going to talk to you again. And you don't want that because there's a question of how do you help then if you chime in and they don't appreciate it, they don't welcome that, they're not ready for that. Then did you lose your opportunity in the future to be able to weigh in if you would have had an opportunity otherwise? But again, going back to something I said earlier, I am resolved to not be afraid of anything or anyone except God. I read throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And the only time I at least have noticed a call to be afraid, to be very afraid, is where it relates to God. Jesus says to fear God. The wisdom literature in the Old Testament says 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is sovereign, and we are going to fear him, and we're going to trust in him, and we're going to try, by God's grace, to be faithful to his word and to be faithful representers and ambassadors of his grace and his truth and his goodness, even when this is heavy stuff, even when this is, at first blush, a scary thing. Who created life? God created life. Who gives life purpose? God gives life purpose. So then when somebody is talking about suicide, whether they are considering it still or were and tried, attempted to commit suicide, we should read that as a breakdown of the conviction that their life has purpose, that they are here for a purpose. The best medicine for someone believing that they don't have a purpose is to remind them that they do. And with conviction, do we believe that that person has purpose, whether or not they live according to God's purpose for their life, his plan, his promises, his commands. The fact that they are alive means that there is still hope. I remember when I was teaching middle school youth group on Wednesday nights this past year, I was asked at a certain point, randomly out of the blue, by a middle school girl, is suicide a sin? Who? Why, sweetheart, is that a question on your mind right now? I'm not saying that because I'm upset with you. I'm not saying that because you're in trouble. I'm just saying that because I don't remember asking that question at your age. And are you dealing with somebody in your life who is suicidal? Are you suicidal? Are you trying to process that right now? And if so, I want to tread lightly here. I want to be very, very careful to say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Because if this doesn't make sense, and if you're not buying it, because I came up with a pat answer and an easy believism response that was convenient because I can't be bothered right now because I don't have time for this and I don't want to deal with it, you're going to pick up on that. I ended up telling my table, tables, because it was asked in front of the whole group, that it seems to me as though when murder of somebody else is a sin against God because that person was made in God's image, God created them for a purpose, and we have just now said that their life has no purpose because they're inconvenient to us, and we take their life. If that is a sin against God, when we take someone else's life unjustly, without cause, in violation of God's command, then so also taking our own life is a sin against God. It seems reasonable to me, at least that's the way I look at it, based on the evidence, based on what the scriptures say. I think we have to be asking the people who are considering either affirming this suicidal thought in themselves or someone else, how is our relationship with God here? And have we factored our creator into the equation? And if not, why not? If not, that is part of the purpose of the church. That is, of all times, when courage is most needed. That is when we need to be reminding people of the truth. 
that is of all times when we should be the most careful to give a reason, give an answer for the hope that lies within us, but to do so with gentleness and respect. You are here for a purpose, on purpose. God created you. You belong to God, little one. Are we living in light of that? Or are we feeling miserable because we're surrounded by messages and features that left and right are telling us that we are only material, we are only an object, we are only a thing to be acted upon or to be used if we think that we are only a thing to be used for other people's purposes. That is depressing. That's part of why, social justice aside, biblical justice does call for us to speak up for those who are being oppressed, who are being led away to the slaughter. Social justice perverts and corrupts biblical justice and our understanding of it. But we can't throw out what the Bible says about justice, actual justice. The reason why social justice is such a dangerous thing is because it obfuscates our view of God's justice. Justice is not for us to redefine conveniently with each passing generation. Justice is not an object for us to use as a means to the end of fulfilling our own appetites and desires. Justice is God's domain. It belongs to God. When Jesus says at one point, don't judge by appearances, he doesn't stop there. He says, judge with right judgment. And what that means is judge according to God's standard of judgment. What is right judgment? It's whatever God judges. So you're allowed to, you have permission to, you have free reign to remind creation that it has a creator and that that creator has spoken in his word and through his son. That is part of our purpose here as Christians is to remind the creation that this groaning will not last forever. Creation does groan. There's no denying that. Why would we deny that? This is my big beef with Caleb. This is why I don't like Caleb. I don't like positive, encouraging Caleb, not because I have a problem with positivity or encouragement, but because when it's only ever always happiness and joy, we get to thinking that if we're ever sad, we're ever upset, we're ever disturbed, we ever feel unpleasant, that means that we are broken. There's something wrong with us if we sometimes are groaning. And when we don't have the words even to ask God what it is that we need. When I turn on Caleb and it's always a happy story and it's always being quickly turned into a positive thing, that belies a certain insecurity with whether our worldview can cope with suffering and the problem of pain. That belies a lack of belief and conviction that God is still good when bad things happen, that God is still good when he allows suffering, when he allows sin in the world, when he allows people to do bad things. That's not God's fault. No temptation to mistakenly assume that it's God's fault. No temptation to seize you, but that which is common to man, if you are thinking initially, how is that fair? How is that right? I thought God loved me. 
I thought God cared about me. I thought God had a good purpose for me. If God has such a good purpose for me, then why the setback right now? Why this disappointment? Why this pain? Why this suffering? Why am I sick? Why is my loved one sick? Why is that person so angry? Why is this person so cruel? Why is that person so dishonest? Why are they treating me this way? Why are they treating that person this way? And where is God in all of this? I don't hear that question being asked from the always sunny, always cheerful mainstream Christian crowd. Maybe they are. Maybe it's been a while since I tuned in, but I don't hear them asking those questions. I hear a lot of the same mindset that I see on the face of Joel Osteen. Health, wealth, prosperity, come to Jesus and he will be your eternal Santa Claus, giving you everything that you want as quickly as you want it. And if you don't get exactly what you want when you want it all the time, and you're not always happy, and sometimes you're depressed, and sometimes there's suffering and persecution and pain and death and disappointment and sickness, if there still are those things in the world around you and it bothers you, maybe even in your own life and you have to endure those things, if you are in that situation and you don't feel like smiling that million-dollar smile and you're not getting that cush book deal when you don't fill up a mega church, there's something wrong with you. Maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're not even saved. If you're not cheerful all the time, if you're not happy all the time, if things are not always so hunky-dory, maybe God made a mistake when he made me. That's the kind of thing you start to think. Maybe I'm not savable. Maybe there is no hope. Maybe I should just give up. That's the kind of thing you start thinking to yourself. And you can't think that way, sweetheart. And that's not true. God loves you. And his love for you is not so fragile as all that. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do we understand why there is suffering and pain in the world? If we paused for a moment, if we allowed ourselves to be bothered with pain and suffering for a moment, even though it might distract us from the happy-go-lucky conversation we were having just a minute ago, from whatever plans we had this evening once the kids go to bed, if we allowed ourselves to be sidelined for a moment, to be inconvenienced for a moment, we might realize that there is an answer. In fact, the only answer is not rank materialism, naturalism. There is no God. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's how we medicate sometimes. I had a friend, and I know he sometimes listens. He might be listening right now. And I care deeply about him and his family. As a husband and a father, I look at my relationship with him as being one in which I can love his family by loving him, by encouraging him. That's my lot. But at a certain point, he was brokenhearted and hurting. He had been hurt in the way that some things were handled by the church, and he got discouraged. And nobody came after him. Nobody went looking to see if he was all right. They just let him go because... I guess that's what we do with straight white males these days. Let them go. 
Eventually they'll repent of their whiteness, I guess. And then we'll welcome them back. But he and his wife, they wanted to have a big family and lots of children. And that's so good, right? Not that having a big family saves you, makes you closer to God, or makes you better. If God purposed for you to have as many children as Abraham and Sarah do, at the timing that Abraham and Sarah do, then that's good enough. That's your lot. If he gives you lots of children, then again, that's good. That's his purpose for you. It doesn't have to be cookie cutter. In fact, it's not going to be cookie cutter. Find two men or women in the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, all these thousands of years of God's interactions with his people, find two people who were the same who God used in the same way. You'll find similar characters sometimes. You'll find some overlap, but they're all different. But my friend and his wife, they had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And it hurt. And I know something of how it hurt. Not precisely, but something of how it hurt because of the two miscarriages that we had last year. And in one case, it was an ectopic pregnancy, and I almost lost my wife. And, but for the grace of God, I could have gone into a very, very deep, dark depression, despair, and all of that. Why? Right? Why? Why did this not result in a healthy delivery of maybe a baby girl? Baby boys just as well. I'm happy as long as the baby's healthy. But in this case, the baby wasn't healthy. And we lost it. He, her, the daughter or son, we don't know. Not once but twice. And my friend, after a lot of miscarriages, at a certain point turned a corner. And it was obvious to me that he was listening for a reason to disbelieve in God, because he couldn't reconcile the idea that a good God has created a world in which this kind of suffering and pain and disappointment and death could be a normal course of life, a normal part of life for a believer. How is God good when he allows this? My friend asked. What's the answer that God gives to Job at the end of the book of Job? He doesn't say, you should note, that Job has no right to ask this question. He redirects Job. Job is asking, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And God turns the question around, says, I'll answer your question if you first answer my questions. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth and I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you? Were you there behind the scenes over my shoulder giving me advice on where to put that lake and that mountain, how to make that amphibian, placing the stars in just the right spots and the planets? Where were you? Were you there? By the end of it, Job is chastened and his perspective is restored and he realizes that he 
had gotten a bit of tunnel vision there on his pain and his suffering, and he wasn't keeping perspective on who God is and who he is relative who God is. That's the only way we get perspective on our purpose in life is by understanding ourselves in relation to God. It's the only way to figure that out. And so I hope and pray in this situation with this girl that God comforts her, reveals himself to her through his word, that her parents also do an inventory on how are they living? Are they living in a way that testifies to this idea, to this conviction, to this truth? Whether we believe it or not, whether we live like it or not, whether we always remember it or not, this truth, like the laws of gravity, like the laws of thermodynamics, like time and space, this truth that God created us in his image. Male and female, he created them, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And he gave us a purpose, and we belong to him. People are always looking for purpose and belonging, and when they fail to find it, sometimes they get desperate. And sometimes when they get desperate, they think that life is not worth living anymore because they no longer have purpose and belonging. Our purpose and belonging are supposed to be found in Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sweetheart, I don't know if you're listening, but that truth will set you free. Jesus said that he came so that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. That truth will set you free. It will open your eyes and that's what you need. I think it behooves us to be considering the way that we message to our children. What are we communicating? What are we communicating about who God is by our lives, by our conduct, by our way of relating to them, by our way of relating to our spouse? What are we communicating about who God made us to be based on the way we treat our children, the way we guide them, the way we instruct them, the way that we correct them, the way that we love them? I'm persuaded that We have a nation of suicidal children because our children are not being loved well. It's one of the things that was prophesied about John the Baptist is that he would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. You have a whole lot of children growing up without fathers or with fathers that are disconnected. They're too busy with their hobbies to be concerned with taking the time to gently teach and love their sons and their daughters. They're too busy loving themselves. And there's no room for loving God and loving their wife and loving their children because they filled their own hearts up with love for themselves. And sometimes it's just naivety. Sometimes it's just that we're asleep at the wheel and we don't realize what messages are being pumped into our homes via YouTube, via Netflix, via Amazon Prime, via the neighborhood kids, right? We have to be careful about that. My wife and I have to be careful about that with regards to our kids. Who are they hanging out with? That, yes, we want our children to be able to have a good influence on, but also we're first and foremost responsible to our children. We're not first and foremost responsible for 
all of the kids in the neighborhood, all of the kids in the city of Greeley, Colorado, which has about 100,000 people. Now I have a great, 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 great grandfather or great, great, great grandfather. I think it's third, third great grandfather, George Fisher McFarland, who from the time that he was wounded at the Battle of Gettysburg until the end of his life, ran an orphanage in Pennsylvania for orphans of the Civil War. And he is one of my heroes. George Fisher McFarland, Lieutenant Colonel, played a decisive role in winning the Battle of Gettysburg. And you know, here's the thought. Here's just a little thought to leave you with. What if my great-great-great-grandfather, George Fisher McFarland, had concluded after he lost a leg at the Battle of Gettysburg, what if he had concluded, that's it, my purpose is done, I'm done, I'm out, I can't bear to live with just one leg anymore. I'm sure he saw horrendous pain and suffering at the Battle of Gettysburg, at other battles that his unit, the 151st Pennsylvania Volunteers, was involved in. I've done my part. I saved Abner Doubleday's First Corps by decisive action, decisive leadership. That helped to save the Army of the Potomac. That helped to save the Union cause and settle the Civil War firmly in the camp of abolition, emancipation, and the rest is history. What if my great-great-great-grandfather, George F. McFarland, had said, after all that was done, I can't take it anymore. I can't take the pain. I'm out. Well, for one, I might not be here. My great-grandfather might not have been here. My great-great-grandfather might not have been here. But what about all those orphans, too? And yes, okay, that's a really stereotypical thing to pull on. Orphans. But where are we at? Right? Where are we at right now? We have a, a nation of kids growing up without fathers. You need fathers getting engaged. These children need leadership. They need love. They need guidance. They need discipline. They need correction. They need a comforter. They need a protector. And far, far, far too many of them have fathers that have communicated by the way that they've lived their lives that they can't be bothered. They're a little busy right now. God have mercy on us, fathers. I, I could go on. I could talk about another father I know who's got a big family. I don't know where he's at. He's not really responding to me. I've tried to reach out. I want to help. What can I do? What can I do if he rebuffs it? Well, what I can do is I can come alongside his children. And I can try and watch over them, look out for them, be there. If you have a suicidal child, suicidal person in your life right now, the best thing you could possibly do for them is to remind them of what is true and what is good. Because it might just be they've gotten really confused here and they forgot if they ever knew what was true and what was good. It's been a really hard past year. We have got to remember who God is, who God created us to be, what does he say in his word? That gives us purpose, that gives us belonging, that helps us to understand what our purpose and belonging are and to live accordingly, to not be discouraged, to not grow weary in doing what is right, but to endure, to persevere, to see difficulties as trials 
and tests of our faith and not without purpose, not for no reason, not because God's cruel, not because he's apathetic, not because he's got better things to do with his time, but because this is part of our calling to patiently endure blamelessly while loving God, while loving those around us, trials of many kinds. I got to leave it there. Part of my purpose today is I've got to get to work. I've got to go. And I've got to do my day job. I've got to provide for my family. I've got to help other men, my coworkers, to provide for their families by doing my job, helping them to do their job. By all means, by all means, if you're listening to this, you need somebody to talk with, please, if I can help you in any way, reach out to me. If you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, don't struggle alone. If you're dealing with somebody in your life who is suicidal and you have some helpful advice for me, I'd like to hear it. But for now, as always, thank you for listening. I know this was a heavy one, but God is faithful. Till next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.